You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. Well, good morning. I'm Betsy, the Youth and Community Life Pastor. Uh, see, I think part of the reason they clap is because when I get up here, I'm always like, say, woohoo! Right? And so there wasn't an opportunity to do a woohoo. Um, so it's summer, as Pastor Mike was just talking about, and so it's the time where there's like lots of fairs, people are visiting amusement parks, all that stuff. Uh, when you guys go to those, have you ever seen those people who want to guess your weight or your age? Have you seen somebody? I don't know if it's allowed anymore, uh, but there, when you would go, right, when you would go places uh, it's like that, there were people who were willing, who were brave enough, I think, to offer to guess how old you were or how much you weighed. I was never brave enough to uh, pay the dollar to have somebody do that. It just seems silly to me. <laughs> seems like a dangerous game to me. And so I just kept my dollar and spent it on a candy bar instead. And so um, they always have like this margin of error, though, that doesn't actually cause them to lose very often. So it's like 10 pounds on either side like that they can guess or 10 years on either side. It's always something crazy. And so they always win. I want to keep my dollar. So it wasn't long into my adulthood that I realized that maybe I should have played that game because many people often believe that I'm younger than what I actually am unless uh, they have some facts to help them out. Like when we were at the uh, the amusement parks and there were four little ones who were all around me who were saying, mom, 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 because they have four kids. That kind of gives them an idea that I might be a little bit older than what I actually am. Uh, There was this one time after Michael and I had been married for some time, and we had like two or three kids by this this point, when a door-to-door salesman knocked on our door, and I opened it, because that's what you do when somebody comes to your door, I open it, and they promptly asked me if my parents were home. (laughs) I was a little confused for for just a brief moment, and then I realized what was happening, and so I cleverly said, I don't know, but I could call them and find out. It was then his turn to be confused, and so he was just kind of like, okay, thank you, and he just left. (laughs) I never had to hear the spiel. It was a good day. It was a good day. Uh, So I had this really wise cousin who many years ago told me that I should be grateful for looking younger than what I am, because there will be a day where I will be grateful for that. And so I've worked on that a lot, and for the most part, doesn't bother me so much anymore. Uh, especially like this last winter. Do you guys remember when everybody was like really sick? It seemed like everybody, so many people were sick so often this last winter. Our family was one of those. Felt like I was sick like every month for a few months there. So I was at Walmart buying some cold medicine, going through the self-checkout. And I don't know what it is in cold medicine, but there's something that makes them require seeing your ID now. And so the lady there, the person who was working there said, I need to see your ID. So I pulled out my ID, and she was like, 
Whoa. She was like, I never would have thought you were that old. <laughs> she said, she said, I thought you were like 25. And I was like, yeah, you did. <laughs> I was like, you did. I went home and I was like, you guys, guess what just happened? And they were like, oh, brother. I even called my kid in Michigan and told him. I was excited about that. Those are the good days, right? Somebody thinks you're 25, you're like, score. That's not all bad. <laughs> But then there are moments where it's not so fun. Like a few months ago, Michael and I, we were celebrating our anniversary. We had gone to Bend uh, just to get a little bit of time away. And uh, there was this pair of shoes that I had been thinking about getting for, um, for like over a year. I had been thinking about it. I had done some studying. Yes, I said shoes. Yeah, sorry. I, yeah, we can talk about parachutes later. But yes, a pair of shoes. <laughs> Shoes are an investment for me because some years ago I hurt one of my feet and uh, it took weeks for me to be able to get moving again and to be able to fit into a regular pair of shoes. And so when I'm, I'm really, I try to be careful about what I put on them. I'm only gonna have one feet, pair of feet to walk me through the rest of this life. And so I try to be intentional about what I put on my feet. And so I had been thinking about this for over a year. My husband knew this. And so as we were walking down cute little bend downtown, he was like, hey, that shoe store, because he's learned to recognize the good shoe stores where I want to get my shoes. He's like, let's go in there. It was my Mother's Day present. And uh, so we go inside, and they, of course, have the shoes. So I go right over to the shoes. I pick up a couple of different colors, and I'm trying to decide what to get. And so I'm asking the sales lady just a couple questions uh, about these different shoes and like what I might expect, which one, I was trying to decide which one might be the better investment. And so she answered the questions. Uh, something seemed a little off at that time, but I was like, whatever, I'm gonna get a pair of shoes. And so I decide which ones I wanna get. I'm trying them on, I'm walking around the store, trying them out. When you get a pair of shoes, you should walk around the store Try them out. If you're getting running shoes, you should run around the store. You look a little silly, but you're not the only one who does it. Try your shoes out. Make sure they're actually going to fit nice on your feet. So I was walking around the store, and I was processing out loud with her about what I was thinking. I was like, well, I'm noticing this, and I'm wondering about that. And she was kind of like, yeah, yeah. She was kind of dismissive. And again, I was too excited about the shoes that it didn't super, I wasn't super tuned into what was happening. So I decide to get the shoes, and we get ready to go check out, and uh, she says something about her kids, because she found out we were there for her anniversary, and uh, she was like, yeah, you know, her kids, and we were like, yeah, we get it. And she was like, you guys have kids? And we said, yeah, we have kids. They're like, how many do you have? And we were like, four, and she was like, four kids? Like, she never dreamed that we were old enough to have four kids. And then she asked how old they were, and so we started telling her, how old are kids? Now, for those of you who don't know, my oldest is about to turn 24 this fall, and my baby will be 17 in December. And so um, <laughs> we start telling her these numbers, and she was like, all of a sudden, she was very interested in, in having a conversation with us. And all of a sudden, she was very interested in getting us signed up for uh, a customer service thing, like where you get the sales, and you know all the things that are coming up. Our conversation changed her eye contact and her demeanor all changed as soon as she found out that we had kids who were older. It's in those moments that I don't especially enjoy looking younger than what I am. Um, 
We have opportunities presented to us each day if we want to see them that way to add value to somebody else's life. Did you hear that, Mike? Did you hear the Okay, little break here right before. <laughs> Guys online are gonna like this too. Right before this, Mike was like this, and Mike was like, just turn it a little bit. I was like, but if I, it's on you. There you go. <laughs> Maybe I should just take it easy. Uh, so in the past several years, <laughs> see, I should have used that opportunity to add value to his life instead of giving him a hard time. <laughs> he likes it when I give him a hard time. I'm just sure of it. We'll find out later, right? Anyway, so in the past several years, we have seen and experienced and we continue to experience events that are happening that, are, that future generations are going to have in their history books that they're going to be learning about. Uh, and we... Um, just as generations before us have shared their experiences with the generation after them, we'll do the same. We'll do the same. And we hope it will serve lessons of what is right and wrong and that our stories will live on with those that we share them with. Each of us gets the opportunity to strengthen the next generation or to weaken it. We choose with our actions, we choose with our words, and we choose with our time. So whether you have kids or not, you have influence to either strengthen or weaken the next generation. Psalm 145.4 says, One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Biblical tradition has been to share the work of God and the word of God with the next generation, plain and simple. We are called to share the work of God. So according to USA Today in 2011... Milo Kress, a nine-year-old boy, I want you guys to keep this in mind, he came up with a campaign, Be Straw Free. While some of us roll our eyes at this whole straw thing and quite possibly think that cardboard straws are a bit silly, I do think that one, just don't give me a straw, uh, Milo didn't think so. See, while Milo was out to dinner with his family, he noticed that when the servers brought the cups out, the straws were already in them and they put them on the table. And then as the server walked away, those same people were pulling the straws out and setting them on the table. And he felt like that was just such a waste. So he went home and he did some research and he found that each day Americans were using 500 million straws. That's enough to fill 125 buses. Yeah. So once he found those facts, he decided that he would ask restaurants if they would just simply begin asking people if they wanted a straw instead of just giving one to them. Milo knows in his gen that in his generation, he and his generation, they're trying to leave a better earth for the next generation after them. And so as some of us grumble about this straw thing, and as it might feel a little bit silly, he knows that he's, he's trying to do something to positively impact the next generation. Our underdogs for today find themselves in a situation where they were told to do something that they understood and knew was wrong. They knew it would weaken the next generation, and they disregarded that command, even though it might cost them their own lives. We find ourselves in Exodus 1 today. Exodus uh, 1, 6 through 20, it says, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become too numerous for us. 
Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and Rameses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose name were, names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God, and they did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and they give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. So Joseph was the right hand of the former king. That king honored Joseph and appreciated him. And so he took care of Joseph's family and he took care of the Israelites who are God's people. But this new king feared them. He feared that they would, that if a, a, another community were to come up and want to take over Egypt, want to defeat them, that the Israelites would join them and that they would take them down, and that they would lose, and then they would lose the Israelites as well. This new king became so afraid of the Israelites that because their population had grown so much that he attacked, that he came up with plans to quite literally work them to death, which then backfires because the Israelites just multiplied even more. In other words, they were having lots of babies, kind of like what happened in, after 2020 when everything like shut down and then church started up again. We were like, look at all the babies. You guys remember that? We had so many babies. And so um, the king's plan was just that. It was his plan. It wasn't God's plan. So he came up with another solution. He said, let's just have the midwives kill the baby boys. Logical backup plan, right? Not really. The king understood that he could impact the next generation. His plan was to wipe out the Israelites altogether. He chose to weaken them by any means necessary. Exodus 1.15 says, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that baby as a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives knew the importance of the next generation. It was their life's work. It was their passion. Now, during this time in history, um, and even today, midwives are those people who help women give birth. Um, but, and not much is known about the medical care system during this time, but it is said that there wasn't any formal kind of healthcare system at that time. These women had trained themselves and the next generations of women in how to help other women to have babies, how to deliver babies, which included providing pain relief, encouragement, praying for the baby and for the mother during that process, delivering the afterbirth, helping with any complications from childbirth and the aftercare of the mother and the baby. Today, we have a whole team of people who do those things. 
Today we have a whole team of people who do, the, do those things. So midwives during this time, they even invented the birthing stool, which is alluded to and which is stated in Exodus 115. They, here's a picture of it. I tried to find something safe for a Sunday morning. Um, as you can see, there's two midwives there who are helping to support and to help this woman who is in labor. These women, who uh, they spent so much time with laboring moms that they knew and understand what they needed in order to help them to have successful labor and delivery. What would make it easier for these women and for them as they walked through the process of delivery? These women, they, they, uh, they cared. They also understood what it was to be a vulnerable part of the population. They are underdogs. During this time in history and for a very long time afterward, women were actually considered property. The only value that they had was in having babies, especially boys, because the boys were how the legacy carried on. And so they needed to have boys. Uh, the other responsibilities of women during that time were to help keep the house running and raising the children. That was the only value that, they were seen, that was seen in them. The larger the family during this time, the more safety for your family, because just like what the king was afraid of, if there was an attack that happened, if you have a larger family, you're more likely to overpower whoever is trying to overpower you. These children would also be the people who would take care of the aging members of their family who could no longer work the fields or do whatever it was that they did. And so having lots of children was especially important during this time in history. It is also believed that most midwives were barren, which means that the very thing that, that brought meaning to women in that society during this time, that they weren't able to do. They weren't able to do that. So they were truly underdogs in their society. They were women who were, viewed, who were viewed as not really having any value. Midwives were the epitome of an underdog, but they understood that they had an opportunity to either strengthen or to weaken the next generation. They dug in and they taught themselves how to help women and babies through childbirth during the time with limited information. There were no ultrasound machines, no stethoscopes. Those things didn't exist. Then they passed that tradition down to the next generations. Midwives are found very little in the pages of, of the Bible. Only like six times are they mentioned. But for almost every name listed in the Bible, there was likely at least one or two midwives there who were present. When the king sent for them and told them that they were to kill the boys of the Israelites, they understood what the king wanted for the next generation. He wanted to weaken them. The king knew that if he could kill all the boys, that there would be no one left to fight for freedom for the Israelites. They would be under his rule indefinitely and quite potentially could have ended the Israelite generations. The king's plan to work them to death wasn't going so well, so he decided to go to the source where the babies were being born. But Shifra and Pua, they wanted to strengthen the next generation, so they bravely disregarded the king's order, knowing that there was a possibility that it could cause them death. They stood against the king's plan to weaken the next generation. The midwives chose very intentionally to strengthen it instead. And each of us gets the opportunity to strengthen or to weaken the next generation. Now, even though the midwives are underdogs in their society, their actions tell us that they wouldn't be deterred from what is from doing what is right. Exodus 1.17 tells us that the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. 
They stood firm on what they knew was right in God's eyes, regardless of the consequences to them and to their lives. Experts tell us that 70 to 90%, 93% of communication is nonverbal. So our facial expressions, our body language, all of those things tell other people a lot about what that it communicates to other people. Our actions speak volumes to others. So when these midwives, when they massaged the women in labor, when their bodies were in pain, when they stayed by their sides to help them learn how to nurse their brand new babies, and when they tenderly wiped these birthing mothers with damp cloths, their actions spoke loudly. Their actions spoke loudly. When the babies were born, they swaddled them so they would feel as secure as they did in the womb. So these babies could feel secure. Matthew 19 tells us that the people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Jesus took time out of his day to see these children. And then he prayed over them. He spent time with them. His actions show us what was important to him. And the actions of the midwives show us as well. Jesus and the midwives both had the intention of strengthening the next generation. So while the king wanted to weaken the next generations, the midwives worked to strengthen it. Each of us gets the opportunity to strengthen or to weaken the next generation. Now, from the beginning of time, it's made clear to us that our words carry more power than what we often think. God spoke the world into being. He used his words. If you're not familiar with that story, check it out in Genesis. It's there. Our words matter. And then Solomon, who was the wisest man ever to live, tells us in Proverbs 18.21 that the tongue has the power of life and death. Our words matter. We can use them to build people up or we can use them to tear people down. One of the responsibilities of the midwives was to pray over the birthing mother and the baby as it came into the world and then after it had arrived. They were there to encourage those mothers and to coach them through all that was happening with their body when they didn't understand or when they wanted to give up. We see in movies and stuff sometimes the mom's like, I'm just so tired. And there's somebody there who says, you can do it. We're here for you. That's what these midwives were doing with their words. So while the king spoke words of death, telling the midwives to kill those baby boys, the midwives spoke words of life over the women birthing these babies and the new life coming from their body. Each of us gets the opportunity to strengthen or to weaken the next generation. So, so far we've talked about two different ways uh, that the midwives have shown us that we can strengthen the next generation with our actions and with our words. A third way that the midwives strengthened the next generation was with their time. It began with the moment that they said yes to helping bring new life into the world and to supporting these birthing mothers. It means a lot of time learning to be able, and then being available for whenever birth were to start, whenever labor begins. And a second century Roman writer, Serranus, made a list of all the things needed for labor. They said, for normal labor, one must prepare beforehand olive oil, warm water, warm fomentations, soft sea sponges, pieces of wool, strips of cloth, a pillow, 
things to smell, a midwife's stool or chair, two beds, and a proper room. Now, I've had four babies, which doesn't make me an expert by any stretch of the means, uh, but it means I do have some experience. I had no idea what some of these things were for. But when I got to pillow, I was like, I know what that one is. I know what to do with that. You prop the mom up, make her comfortable. I was wrong. This is not what it's used for. It's actually used to place the baby on while the mom delivers the afterbirth. I never would have guessed that. I never would have guessed that, but these women, they knew because they had been trained by the generations before them. They knew that that mattered. And then there were a few things under the things to smell that included penny royal, a clot of earth, that one, I understood what that is, uh, and barley groats. These were used to help revive the laboring women. Exodus tells us that Shifra and Pua also used a birthing stool, which again, at some point, the midwives had uh, invented. They had spent enough time with the birthing women, bringing next generations into the world, that they knew what tool needed to be used, and they knew about all of these other things that they needed to have in order to have a successful labor. And midwives knew that in order for their skills to continue on, for other women to have the same support that they were offering, that they needed to train other generations. They needed to find other people and to pour into them and invite them in and say, come with me as we go do this, to teach them. So that way it could be carried on from generation to generation to generation. So they could continue to learn. And when it came time for the labor and delivery of the baby, they didn't just swoop in, hurry the mom along, get the baby out, and then leave. Like, first of all, that's not how labor works. That's not how birthing a baby works. I wish it was, because if somebody would have told my body to hurry up and it would have went faster, I would have been grateful. But that is, that's just not, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Some go more quickly than others. Um, but midwives, of course, they knew this, but they were, they were committed. They were committed to spending that time. They were committed to being there. They prepared everything that they would need for the labor and delivery. They stayed, prayed, and encouraged the birthing woman through labor. Then they did the aftercare of the baby and the mother. To do all this takes time, which the midwives gave of freely. They were prepared to do that. So while the king took the time to come up with multiple plans to weaken the next generation, the midwives took the time to learn, teach, and implement those lessons they learned and taught to strengthen the next generation. Each of us gets the opportunity to strengthen or weaken the next generation. So how do we do that? With our actions, with our words, and with our time. But what does this look like practically? Well, today after the second service, after this service, we have some people who are staying afterwards to help transform, to further transform this place. I see the lights on back there. Um, and it's gonna be, a, it's, it's, a, it's amazing. I know that for some of you, it's just decorations, but here's the thing that happens in the middle of all these decorations, is that some of these kids for the very first time will hear and experience the love of Christ. And they will accept Jesus for the first time. And then that has the power to transform and change generations after because we know that God can do that. And they don't even have to interact with the kids. They don't even have to interact with the kids. And yet they're serving and strengthening this next generation with their time. Now, if we're honest, there's, for most of us, there's a couple of age groups we're comfortable with and some that we're not so much. Um, I don't think that that's a bad thing. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. 
I'm just gonna say the one that most of us are thinking. And for those of you who are in here, I just know that I love you. Um, it's teens. Most of you guys are afraid of teens. Uh, <laughs> they're looking at each other. They're like, what? Do you guys know if people are a little bit nervous around you? <laughs> but they love you though. And I enjoy getting to spend time with them. So, but here's the thing that while some of us might be intimidated by certain, certain age groups, here's the thing is that there's some of you in this room who, who are in a generation before me. And that means that I'm a person that you can pour into. One thing that encourages me to no end is that we have two groups of people on Wednesday nights that pray for our students. And it gives me so much peace knowing that there are people battling on behalf of these students and these leaders every Wednesday night so that we don't have to experience some of the things that, might, that, that the enemy might try to put in front of us. I'm incredibly grateful for that these people are going to battle on behalf of us. Just like what Pastor Mike talked about earlier, like there are things that we don't know about because people are praying for, for different things. And so I'm incredibly grateful. And so prayer is a practical way that you can strengthen the next generation. And then these people, these kids who are in middle school and high school and even in elementary school, they're being presented with options and with information that we have no idea, that we've never experienced in our lifetimes. But these kids are being given opportunities to make choices that we don't have an understanding of. So let's do some learning. Let's educate ourselves about some of these things. It can help us to pray more specifically, and it can help us to have more compassion and grace for these next generations. And then when you see someone in the next generation, say hello, make eye contact, smile. You guys can smile. Speak words of life into people. Uh, whenever I go to Dutch Bros, I, I always leave feeling a little bit better about myself. Uh, one of the things that they do really good is they ask you about your day and they act like they actually care. <laughs> they do. Now, I don't get fooled too easily, but every time I leave, I always feel good about myself. Or they like compliment something about me. It takes like five seconds to do those things, but it makes a difference in my heart because somebody saw me. They looked at me and they said, I see you. So when you're around somebody else, let them know that you see something in them. Because here's the thing, is we're all walking around, they're like, this is just who I am. But God has put something special in each of us because all of us are uniquely made and all of us are special. But we don't know what some of those things are. It wasn't until people started pointing out some things in my life that I was like, oh, I didn't know that was different. I didn't know that was unique. And if they had never pointed those things out, I'd still be walking around like, that's just what we do. That's just what we do. But they pointed it out and it's made a difference in my life and I now understand and recognize that it's something that God put in me special. And each of us has that. So when you see that in somebody, speak that into their life. Make eye contact with them and let them know that you see it. Call it out. So how do we strengthen the next generation with our actions Pray for the next generation. Volunteer. Smile at them. Okay, when we ask you to volunteer in kids' ministry and in nursery, it's not because we need babysitters for a Sunday morning. 
It's because we are trying to strengthen the next generation. It matters. It matters. With our words, find something positive about them and then say it to them out loud. Don't just think it. Say it out loud. With our time, learn about what the next generation is facing. We hear these things, but let's, let's really learn. Let's do some learning. Maybe it'll offer us some extra grace or some understanding. Help us to pray more specifically for these things that are happening. And invest in someone. The midwives Shifra and Pur were underdogs in their society, and they were confronted with a dilemma. The king gave them orders the midwives knew would weaken the next generation, which was the king's intention. The king used his actions, words, and his time to weaken the next generation. But Shifra and Pua, they decided to honor God by using those same, same things, by using their actions, words, and time to strengthen the next generation. Psalm 102.18 says, Let this be written for a future generation, that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. God wants each generation to rise up and to praise him. In order for that to happen, generations before them need to teach them what this looks like. How do we praise God? And why is he praiseworthy? And some of us sitting in this room think, well, that's kind of a silly thing. Except for I want you to take a minute and think about where you learned it from. Where did you learn that from? So that's just what the midwives did. The next generation will fear God and will do what is good and honoring in his sight because they get to exist because of them. They, they stood in the gap for them. Now, I want to challenge you this week to think about whether you have been weakening or strengthening the next generation and then make any changes that you might need to or challenge yourself. So I want you to think about, have I been weakening or strengthening the next generation? And then find something positive about a person from the next generation in front of you and tell them. Each of us gets the opportunity to strengthen or weaken the next generation. Which will you choose to do? Let's pray. God, I thank you for, oh, I thank you for people whose hearts just love the next generation. I thank you that, that it means such a wide variety of things, Father. That as we pour into the next generation, that there's so many of them. It's such a beautiful thing as we think about, as we think about, that I just think about this water pouring from one bucket into another and another and another and another and how it just can spread so quickly and so easily. Father, may we be a people who, who are doing that, that this generation here in this church, that we would be speaking those things, that we would using, be using our actions, our words, and our time to speak life into this next generation. Yeah. And that as we do that, that the next generation will not know that anything should be different and that they will continue on with that legacy, Father. May it be so in your name. Amen.